Are you looking for a new basketball shoe? If so, this is Gary Parrish here to tell you that the New Balance 2-Way V4 features the groundbreaking use of fuel cell technology with fresh foam creating the ultimate combination of rebound and cushioning. Every step feels explosive and dynamic, and the upper construction features a lightweight textile that's supportive and breathable. So whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the 2-Way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the 2-Way at newbalance.com. The all-new Hyundai 2024 Santa Fe is equipped with everything you need to break free from the dull work week and embark on an adventurous weekend with your family. The Hyundai Santa Fe's features like available H-Track all-wheel drive, standard third-row seating, available dual wireless charging pads. You've got the H-Track all-wheel drive so you can take on those dirt trails and kick up some mud. Or the third-row seating gets your whole family in to experience the thrill together. The dual wireless charging pads make sure that no one gets stuck in the great outdoors with a dead cell phone. Think about those adventurous activities you can do. Like me, taking a ski trip up with the family, maybe going on a camping expedition, anything and everything. Learn more about the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe at HyundaiUSA.com. Call 562-314-4603 for complete details. Hey, everybody. For the old school, and I mean old school, old school listeners, this is something of a throwback to the early years of this pod when I was the solo host. I'm not going to ride alone for this episode. Kyle Boone's going to join me momentarily. GP is traveling back tonight uh, by airplane, and we could not make you wait until Monday to recap the weekend. So there's so much to get to on this show, frankly. If you've got questions and we don't run too long, I'm going to try and get a couple of those from people watching live on YouTube. So please drop them in the chat. Do hit the like button. Continue to subscribe. Uh, Live interaction on the show actually really, really helps expand the show and grow it and uh, hopefully get us more subscribers. And we appreciate all of you. We normally would start a Sunday episode with the biggest result in college hoops, but it would not feel right to begin without some words and appreciation for Grant Wall who died suddenly and unexpectedly on Friday night in Qatar while covering the World Cup in a match between Argentina and the Netherlands. Wall literally collapsed while on press row when that game was in extra time. He died not knowing the outcome, which seems especially cruel. Wall was a towering figure in American sports media and the preeminent American soccer journalist. In addition to his widely read independent work, he was also contributing stories to CBSSports.com and an analyst on CBS Sports HQ in the lead up and during this World Cup. It is hard for me to still interpret that he is no longer here. Uh, We should all strive to do the work like he did the work. Uh, He was a a big time college basketball writer, and that's why I'm starting the pod talking about Grant here, um, because his work influenced mine and help push me to want to be a college basketball writer. Here are some of the words Grant Wall wrote from the lead of his April 2008 cover story on Kansas winning the national title. Grant, by the way, grew up a Kansas fan is from the area. This is the the story's opening. The ball floated through the air, its pebbled surface spinning softly as serene and peaceful as a space capsule in a low earth orbit. At 10.29 p.m. Central Daylight Time on Monday at the Alamo Dome in San Antonio, the fate of a college basketball season rested on Kansas guard Mario Chalmers, or to be more precise, on his last-ditch three-pointer, a make-or-break heave with 2.1 seconds left that would either send the NCAA title game into overtime or give Memphis, clinging to a 60-60 lead, its first championship in school history. In his mind's eye, Chalmers had been here before. As a four-year-old in Anchorage, he and his father, Ronnie, would set up a makeshift basketball arena in their family room, complete with two Nerf basketball goals, 
couches for team benches, and even space for Mario's mother, Al-Marie, to perform the Spar-Spangled Banner. Mario would often skip to the finish in three, two, one, launch a bomb with the championship on the line. In those days, as on Monday night, Super Mario was money. Quote, as soon as it left my hand, it felt good, and I knew it was going in, Chalmers said after his miraculous tray from the top of the key had completed Kansas's rise from a nine-point abyss with 2.12 left in regulation. Quote, I just waited for it to hit the net. I'm not like the hundreds of sports writers who took to social media to share their grief and that I did not know Grant well. I did not know him personally, um, but I was very influenced by his work. I really enjoyed the photo that Alexi Lalish shared. It was my favorite one that was uh, that was put up of Grant working um, at some point. It, uh, the photo seemed uh, undated, but it was just kind of Grant and his element. I thought that was that was pretty terrific. And Princeton where Grant went to college, hosted Monmouth, got a dominating win to improve to 8-2 and two over the weekend. Uh, before the game, the school honored Wall. He was an alumnus in the class of 96. Um, I Yeah, I never got to uh, spend significant time with, with Grant Wall. His time covering college basketball at SI did not intersect with my time covering college troops for CBS. Once I started getting credentialed to events as an independent blogger and, and then through Yahoo Sports, Wall had almost entirely transitioned to being a, a full-time soccer hack. And I say that belovedly as we do in this profession. But I did feel a strong compulsion to start the episode by paying tribute to him because of his presence, not just in the sports writing community, but he was a big influence on me really wanting to get into college basketball media, to be a college basketball writer. I read so much of this guy's stuff when he was at Sports Illustrated, and he was one of the premier college basketball writers in the country. I read Wall... I read his work about as far back as I can remember reading SI, and he really got to the college who speak right around the turn of the century. Jay Billis shared a pair of tweets on something that I had completely forgotten about, where he was basically bringing up the fa- he was he was lamenting obviously the the passing of of Grant, but he had pointed out that uh, the two of them had actually gotten together to combine forces. Jay writing for ESPN.com and then Grant with his weekly mailbag, and they would jointly publish something on a weekly basis with their topics. There, compl- I I I once I saw Jay tweet about that, I was like, man, I I, I remember it now, but it had been so out of mind for so long. Um, something that was just really, 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 uh, really cool to see. And on Friday night and into the weekend, the response to Wall's death was so overwhelming and emotional. Uh, there were a lot of threads that were linking it. One of the most prominent was how willing Grant was to help other journalists. This was not confined to soccer. All right. So I'm, I'm a, I love skiing, right? Try and get out a few times each year. It's, it's not the best thing to love skiing and also be a basketball writer. Those, those two, those two sports literally run parallel, but uh, still try and get out on the slopes when I can. Shouts to uh, actually, coincidentally enough, uh, I've got a, a Vermont ski shirt on right now. But get this, there's a guy named Stuart Winchester who runs a substack called the Storm Skiing and Journal Podcast. And on Saturday morning, as I'm still seeing the tributes for Grant kind of roll in across Twitter, I'm seeing this, I'm seeing that, uh, you know, my little tiny ski world, I see him tweet. He goes, this is this is Stewart. He goes, damn, this sucks. I met Grant at a Substack writers event in New York City in October. He was incredibly nice, and we had a great chat about building our respective audiences. I was just trying to cover skiing like he covered soccer, and I thought, man, man, of course, of course, Grant knew this guy. Like he touched so many people. And as Spencer Hall, another terrific writer, tweeted on Saturday, it's on all of us to take 
Grant's spirit of wanting to help others and carry on that legacy. The world needs a lot of that, no matter where you are in life, your occupation, what, you, what you're doing. If you can help someone, just, uh, just do it. And being that this is a College Hoops podcast, I know we've got a, lo- a heavy portion of listeners. I don't know if it's the majority, but there's a good chunk of you who are 20, 22, 24, 26 years old. You probably never read anything Grant wrote at Sports Illustrated for College Hoops. I did want to share a few graphs of a couple more things to give you a sense of how talented he was. His final cover story on College Hoops was the Great Wall of Kentucky. That was January of 2010 about Kentucky and John Wall, of course. Uh, man, I, I just remember right around that time as I was you know, starting to get more bylines with Yahoo. And this was, I was not yet at CBS at that point. Um, Wall was just as, as major of a force in the space as just about anyone, particularly in writing. You know, he wasn't, he wasn't on television talking about it. It was just, it was his words and, uh, and writing for SI.com and having a, a real sense early of, of how digital could, uh, could help, you know, build one's coverage. And, and certainly that was the case there. Um, there is a small part of me, more than a small part of me that wish I'd gotten to share, you know, more time in the in the media workspace or at the NCAA tournament, but he was too busy literally changing the trajectory of American soccer. Um, all right, here's a taste of what Wall was doing in the 2000s, and then we'll get to the weekend in hoops. This is from the March 10th, 2008 issue. Cover story on Psycho T, Tyler Hansborough. Remember, he did not win a title until the next year. Check this lead. On the office... On the office desk of his Chapel Hill home, next to the portraits of his wife and children, North Carolina coach Roy Williams keeps a framed 8 by 10 picture of a young man drenched in his own blood. No, old Roy doesn't harbor a soft spot for slasher films, but he does for Tar Heels junior forward Tyler Hansborough. And to Williams, the photograph taken a half hour after Duke's Gerald Henderson broke Hansborough's nose with a flagrant foul last season symbolizes the epic toughness of college basketball's fiercest gladiator. He has two cotton swabs up his nose and blood all over his arms and jersey. And he says, how do I look, coach? Says Williams, who can't help but giggle at the memory. What a goofball. I love that. How about this one? October 15th, 2007, part of Sports Illustrated's College Hoops preseason package. (laughs) Here's another lead. Just great stuff. There he goes again. Bruce Pearl's got his shirt off. It's Labor Day, 85 degrees and sunny. And America's favorite bare-chested basketball coach is the picture of topless satisfaction in orange board shorts, black sunglasses, and a white Gilligan hat as he pilots his 29-foot Sea Ray on Fort Loudon Lake outside Knoxville. The small army on board, a dozen strong, including Bruce's four children, is enough to turn the Tennessee coach's rare day off into a five-hour-long Pearl Jam. Pun obviously included my words. Uh, quote, work hard, play hard, Pearl announced while stockpiling provisions earlier, and he hardly disappoints. One minute, he's dragging uh, Leia and a friend out on a tube, pulling them shriekingly close to a bloated dead catfish. The next, he's tending his grill, cooking hot dogs for the hungry masses. Side note from he- me, by the way, this is Pearl at Tennessee, pre-Aaron Craft Barbecue. Grant Wall's picture here actually unintentionally set the stage for what would actually get Pearl eventually booted from the job. Uh, and now after tying up along some friends boats in Party Cove, it's time to relax. As Soldier Boys crank that thumps on his monstrous eight speaker stereo, the 47 year old Pearl cannonballs off the customized deck engulfing his guests in a low grade tsunami. This is amazing writing. I love it. Two more for you. Here's one on Adam Morrison from January 04, courtesy of Grant Wall when Morrison was a freshman before he became a household name. This is the lead. Do Adam Morrison a favor. Don't make him a poster child. Check that. Don't make him a poster child for diabetes. Oh, it's part of his life, and he's happy to talk about it, but there are so many other posters you could design for Gonzaga's trippy freshman forward. Revolutionary posters, 
boxing posters, hoops posters. Who knows? Maybe even a wanted poster. Countless basketball players decorate their walls with posters of Larry Bird, but how many hang pictures of Che Guevara and Karl Marx? How many can recite their favorite Allen Ginsberg pro poem? How many would defend their dormitory's honor in a prize fight one day, then go and drop 20 on Stanford the next? Quote, you don't want to be stuck in the world of conformity, Morrison says, lounging in his hall dorm room before a red shade banner with the slogan, hasta la victoria siempre, always until victory. Quote, some people think I'm a communist, but I'm not. I just like to see the other side of the fence point of view, end quote. Hand Morrison a copy of John Lee Anderson's 813-page book, Che, and the response comes quickly, already read it. The autobiography of Malcolm X, already read it. The Communist Manifesto, The Wealth of Nations, read those too. Talk about throwbacks. Which decade is this kid from anyway? The 1960s or the 1840s? And one more for you from Grant Wall. Keep in mind, this is from 2006. 2006. Never have tempo and efficiency been hotter topics than on the eve of this year's NCAA tournament. What's the best way to analyze a team's efficiency and help separate Final Four contenders from early round upset candidates? First, you must ignore traditional statistics like rebound margin, total turnovers, and points per game and embrace a simple but revealing figure that doesn't appear on any NCAA statistics sheet made famous, um, excuse me, on any NCAA stat sheet, points per possession. Possession-based analysis is a hoops version of the approach to baseball statistics made famous in Moneyball, Michael Lewis's best-selling book. By calculating how many points a team scored and allowed per possession, Dean Smith found he gains a much clearer picture of efficiency and could compare teams no matter what pace they preferred. While Smith's idea is nothing new, only recently have stat heads and bloggers extended it to all 334 Division I teams, providing the first detailed national perspective on efficiency. Modifying an equation developed by NBA stat guru Dean Oliver in the 1980s, a blogger named Ken Pomeroy began publishing points per possession and other tempo-neutral stats for Division I colleges on his website, KenPom.com, last year. Quote, even if you've never seen a team play, you can get a good picture of its style by looking at these stats, says Pomeroy, a 32-year-old meteorologist from Cheyenne, Wyoming, whose site became such a cult hit that it crashed during the week before last year's selection Sunday. Grant Wall was trying to popularize Ken Palm five, six years before it went actually mainstream, I would make the argument that Wall's piece there helped more coaches. Some in the media, like myself, begin to try and understand tempo-free statistics, uh, even if that didn't really hit the mainstream until the early uh, 2010s. Wall being at SI made that stuff. Uh, you know, he helped, he helped spread the gospel, if you will. Uh, he also wrote cover stories on a young Kevin Durant at Texas, chronicled J.J. Redick as a junior, just as he was becoming one of the most famous and hated players in American sports, uh, Joakim Noah at Florida, just on and on and on. Any player, coach, team, or story that mattered in college basketball, Wall was was covering it for uh, for a decade there at SI. Let's bring in uh, let's bring in KB to start off the uh, to start off the basketball portion of the pod. But thank you for indulging me with that. If you have the time, go seek out a few of his stories. I'll try and tweet out a few of them later on tonight as well. Um, because there's a lot there, and uh, Grant Wall, you are very, very, uh, very missed. That was a, a longer intro than anticipated, but I did want to pay homage to really one of the better college basketball writers ever. KB, thanks for joining. Glad to have you here. How you doing, bud? Oh. KB's audio is uh, is a no-fly there. <laughs> you better unmute yourself, man. This is live. Try it now. Are we good? Hello, hello. There you go. How you doing? I am doing well, Norlater. Thank you for having me on the show. I apologize for my audio to start this podcast. Um, 
fantastic tribute to to Grant there. Really, really enjoyed that. Um, did not know Grant, but um, the tributes that have rolled in the past few days have been uh, pretty eye opening, and especially this time of year makes you kind of just sit back and think about how you're living your life, how you're treating other people. Um, makes you want to love your people and um, not to get too deep or emotional or sappy on this podcast. This is a basketball podcast, but uh, definitely did some soul searching over the weekend, just um, hugging my family a little bit tighter and um, trying to to be good friends to, to everyone I know, to be as good to my family as I can. Um, it's, a, it's a really tough thing that I'm sure his family is going through, especially as sudden as it happened, um, as unexpected as it happened. So, um, yeah, I appreciated the, um, the tribute at the top here. Yeah, man. It's great to have you. I love you, buddy. You've gone through, uh, two battles of cancer, kicked its ass and, uh, look at you. So we appreciate you all so, so much there. And yeah, listen, (laughs) uh, GP is, is, is traveling. And so, uh, so you are here and you are going to bring it my friend. Okay. All right. You're going to bring, I know you've got takes. We're going to start, Man, it was a nice weekend. I don't know if it was elite, but it was pretty good. Like three teams fell from the ranks of the unbeaten: Houston, Missouri, Auburn. GP, by the way, had Houston as the final team to lose a game. I believe in the preseason. I had TCU. We were both wrong about that, but Houston did make it into the final ten. We didn't have an overload of close finishes, but enough, I think, to to keep the blood warm. Um, the biggest turn of events is definitely the toppling of number one Alabama going in and upsetting Houston. Uh, fired at me, man. Takeaways, thoughts, what'd you see? What should we know? Wild weekend. Um, It it didn't have as many fireworks as maybe I had anticipated, but Houston falling at home to Alabama was by far the most notable result of the weekend. Uh, We can get into that just a little bit. Memphis handled Auburn pretty convincingly. Kendrick Davis looked like the superstar that we all expected coming into the season. John Morant was tweeting about him, which uh, if John Morant is tweeting about you, seems like you probably did something right. Uh, Went for 27-9-6 in a win over Auburn, which was undefeated until it took that L. Uh, Kansas took down Missouri after a pretty surprising 9-0 start. Probably, I think, the least surprising result of the day. Missouri's... 9-0 9-0 start was a little bit of a mirage, but the way that Kansas did that, I thought was really impressive. Uh, to circle back, though, I, I think what Alabama did on the road at Houston against a Houston team that is very, very balanced, very, very experienced. They are very good at crashing rebounds, giving second chance opportunities to its offense. And Alabama just kind of out Houston, Houston, uh, which was kind of jarring. And I think it, uh, I think it requires us to maybe do some soul searching, dig a little bit deeper because Alabama, I think after this weekend is, uh, is jumping up a level in my eye. That was a really impressive result from what we saw from them. Definitely jumped up a level. I wrote the column at cbsports.com uh, about this because it was, uh, listen, second time in less than two weeks, you beat a number one ranked team. That I did not realize. ESPN stats information spread this one far and wide. Duke in 65 is the only team to ever do this before uh, New Year's. Now, consider that seasons back then didn't start until December. And so, you know, and then plus you got to, the schedule's got to break, right? So it's, it's tough. And then even like, you know, when Bama beat North Carolina, 
wasn't UNC's first loss of the season and had that game been scheduled, you know, differently and it wasn't a bracket play like it wouldn't be the number one team, but whatever. Those are two huge wins. This one was even more impressive. It was Alabama's first win on the road over a number one team since 83. It took down UCLA in January of, of 83. Again, different era. Alabama against UCLA on the road in late January. <laughs> Just not, we're not getting those kind of games in 2022 for better, or for worse, mostly for worse. Uh, would love some more quality non-conference matchups deep into the season, but those uh, those have almost all but disappeared with the exception of the AC, uh, the SEC and Big 12 Challenge. Yeah. Um, to me, like the Cougars entered the day, they were second in defensive efficiency at Ken Palm, and they, had, they were playing better than anyone in the sport pro Ken Palm and Torvik. And they were holding teams to 47 points a game. And Bama got 71, outscored them 42-21 in the final 17 minutes. Like, I, I was, I I don't, the takeaway for me is way more about Bama than Houston. Yeah, it was weird. Like, that's not happening to the Cougs again this season. They are not giving up. They're not giving up 42 points in a 17-minute span. That will not happen again. And Kelvin Sampson might um, make sure that it doesn't happen again. And he was all over his guys there. Man, I... I, to me, it, Bama becomes a viable Final Four contender with the nature of this win combined with how they've played. Would you agree? Viable Final Four contender, or are you of the mind that if we're going to talk about, quote, viable Final Four contenders on December 11th, that's, you know, three, six, eight weeks too early? Yeah, it's it's tough. Um, I think I would go, like, viable Elite Eight contender, maybe Sweet 16. I mean, you're, like, splitting hairs at this point. I'm not quite there to say, like, wow, Alabama is a clear, like top five team which i think to jump into that category they would be in that mix um i i will say though i really thought that it would take you know brandon miller going just completely berserk or alabama catching fire from three to win this but you know the uh, the underlying ways in which bama has won this season has been very houston-esque in a lot of ways they they play their own specific style Houston, you know, under Kelvin Sampson, they they have always, as I've said before, kind of dominated on the glass. They they are elite at getting offensive rebounds and giving themselves second chance opportunities. Everyone on Alabama is a really good offensive rebounder. They're really good rebounders. Uh, Brandon Miller is a good rebounder for his position. Noah Clowney, Charles Bediaco. I mean, th- those guys are are really good, and that, I think that showed up in a big way against Houston. Um, it, it feels like we're this team is kind of just scratching the surface in terms of of what it will eventually be. I think that's ultimately going to be a good thing. I, I think this team is still on the rise, and and the fact that they are still kind of figuring out who they are, and yet they still just went on the road and beat down beat down the number one team on the road, uh, a really quality Houston team. I think is really impressive. Mark Sears uh, had some some good moments in this one. Jaden Bradley. Uh, I think is going to continue to work into a larger role. I was really interested in in kind of the role that he played in this win. Javon Quinterly was really quiet um, in this one. I, I think he's an elite talent. Obviously, when he, when he's healthy, coming back from an ACL tear right now, and I think still working his way back to 100. percent So mm-hmm. that's a lot of scattered takeaways for you. I, I think that Alabama definitely jumped up a level in my eyes. Definitely a top 10 team right now. I'm not entirely sure that uh, they've earned the final four contender label just yet. The only reason why I think you've got leeway with that is that a year ago, Alabama was just up and down totally. Now, there's a lot of new pieces on this group, and I actually think winning the way I wrote this, winning the way it did win 
I mean, coming back from down 15, second half on the road, number one team, that building. Yeah. In fact, I think we meant this on the show, mentioned this on the show, and then Houston actually made issued a correction late on Friday. That was actually the first time ever that Houston had hosted a top 10 matchup in its own home building. Houston's records were inaccurate. Uh, I think I mentioned, I know I wrote it. I don't know if I mentioned the pod, but it was previously believed that New Mexico came in in 66 as a top 10 team. For whatever reason, the record got screwed up in the ensuing years. That was not New Mexico. It was literally the University of Albuquerque that uh, Houston opened its season with back that season. So Houston had never hosted a top 10 matchup before. Building was on fire and Alabama really just rallying itself and and being composed un, unfazed down the stretch. Again, like Brandon Miller's one of the best freshmen in the country, if not the best. I mean, hit some clutch free throws, but until then, non-factor. Quinterly to have the maturity to know that he didn't have it, I thought was big. Uh, some of that was even alluded to when I saw Bama in Portland when Quinterly played a ton of minutes, probably played more than he needed to in that four overtime game. Uh, but he did not uh, shy away from the fact that he was outright gassed, like gassed. But they they just they wanted to see what they had, but the freshman overall played played really really well, and and I think that's beyond you know Noah, Noah Clowney being uh, the big time guy. I mean, sixteen yep. points in that in that spot. Mark Sears hit a big three. His three actually put him up. Um, and, you know, Jaden Bradley had some had some good moments there. Even Ryland Griffin got some good burns. So overall, to me, more about more about Bama than it was uh, than it was about Houston there. And and a good win for that program. Good win for the SEC. Houston's got to turn around and play uh, Virginia on the road this upcoming weekend. Bama's got to turn around and, and play Memphis. We'll get to the Tigers in uh, in just a little bit here. Any uh, before we move on, any thoughts? Period on on Miller. And what he has or hasn't shown you, not just on Saturday, but to this point in the game, you being our, our draft expert here. Yeah. You know what was really impressive was he was held without a field goal in this game. Uh, he was 0 of 8 from the field, had eight free throws. And I still felt like he was able to make his presence felt in this game, um, which I, I think is like kind of cliche to say. But when you're six foot nine and you have the length and the shot making, the shot creation ability that he has, uh, the way he can pressure defenses, I, I, he's he's going to be a, a lottery pick in my eyes, and he he didn't have it this game. I I thought that was pretty interesting. Um, Marcus Sasser was only two of eleven in this game as well for Houston, so kind of the two premier talents in this game kind of ended up fizzling. But um, yeah, overall, I I think what we've seen from Brandon Miller, he's he's been the clear top freshman in terms of production this college basketball season, and and one of the biggest risers during you know kind of from a draft lens from what we've seen from from him i I think he has risen the most among some of the guys who are one and dones like he was clearly on the one and done radar but i think has has risen to a point where he's going to be on the lottery radar um another point i'll add here namari burnett um a transfer from from texas tech he was awesome on on defense in this game stat wise you know he, he didn't totally pop but it's I think it's just further validation that like Alabama has so many different guys that they can throw at you and there so many different specialists in different ways. I mean Miller's their their go-to score. Uh Clowney had a huge game in this one. Bradley had 12 points and and kind of was playing ahead of Quinterly in this one. Bur- Burnett was awesome on defense. I think Sasser being 2 of 11 um had a lot to do with Burnett just completely shutting down on defense. I think that's a dimension that we'll continue to see as uh, as this team kind of gels and meshes in the coming weeks and months. But uh, really like the, obviously the potential, what we saw from from Alabama and what, what they can do moving forward. 
All right, Bama-Houston was the most anticipated game of the weekend. Close behind that was Arizona against Indiana-Las Vegas. That's next on the docket. Nada, go ahead, fire up that break. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Uh, I'm watching, by the way, for those watching live on YouTube. Uh, hello. And uh, I'm on I'm on stream here. So I'm watching this Iowa-Wisconsin game, which we started the pod uh, half hour later than we were going to do so because I wanted to know who won the end of this and address this before the show's over. It's going to overtime, and I guess Iowa went on an 8 nothing run to close out in regulation, and then I think that was Chucky Hepburn who missed the shot at, at, as time expired there, so have an eye on it. We will talk Badgers, Hawkeyes, and the whip around once we know who wins, barring, you know, literally it's going like four overtimes. So I'm not going to extend the podcast until this game ends, so it's going to have to finish within the same time frame. Okay, Saturday night, out in Vegas, you had Arizona 89, Indiana 75. Wildcats look damn good. Yep. Dropping 89 on a team that was allowing 61 going into that game. 1.27 points per possession, thanks to 10 three-pointers made. 21 of 38 inside the arc there for the Wildcats. Uh, Tabellis had 21. Larson had 16. Balo had 15. Kirkreesa had 14. Adama Ball had 9 off the bench there. Give it to me. Takeaways. Thoughts. On Arizona, getting a push, they got they got out big early, and then Indiana made it entertaining in that second half. They were just they were constantly the, the dog chasing the car, just constantly going after. Didn't quite get there. What was your biggest uh, takeaway from that one, KB? Yeah, that was a that was a hell of fun game. It it felt like a game where uh, every time I would look up, I'm like, okay, this game this game is actually over. And then oh wait, oh no, it's it's Indiana's coming back, and it was like kind of back and forth. It didn't really feel like in Arizona's you know, win was ever really in doubt, but credit to Indiana, I think for kind of sticking through this, no Jalen hood Shafino for Indiana in this one. I thought that was pretty big and maybe a little bit underrated. Um, his, his playmaking and creation ability, I think opens up Indiana's offense in a way that without him was pretty impactful. Um, Trace Jackson Davis, 11 points on 10 shots fouled out late. I think he struggled a little bit in this game. Um, but I, I think this was more about Arizona and, and what they are and what they can be. Number one offense right now in adjusted efficiency at Ken Palm. Tommy Lord, Lloyd, man, he is, he's got another elite offense. I think Arizona is going to be a contender. I would pick them right now to win the Pac-12. And uh, one of the most fun teams, once again, in all of college basketball, Arizona, uh, rocking and rolling. This was a, a really impressive win for them. <sighs> How many guys have been more, hmm, I don't want to say more improved because Bala was a solid player last year, but I don't know. I, I, I don't know how many teams have a guy who is raising their ceiling, like a proven, I'm talking 
veteran guy who had proven uh, to, like his his ceiling was here and then just kind of just crashing through it. I, I just didn't think Arizona would get this much out of Balo this season. And it, Tubelis has made the jump, right? Larson, I would I would argue, has not even quite been what they'd want him to be. Kirk Kreese has been about that overall. I, I just, I, I don't know. I'd be I'd be curious to to hear from you how many teams are kind of have that guy a starter who is just seems to be putting out there you know north of 25 30 35% of what his expected load was was to be coming into the season. Yeah, he would be in the MIP category if if mm. uh if we had such a such an award. I mean 2020 2021 at Gonzaga there was some buzz about Omar Ballo um I talked to some people who were from the NBA Academy. Gonzaga recruited him and um, had him for a few years. He he played in 24 games in 2020-2021, averaged 2.5 points per game, 6.3 minutes per game, 1.5 rebounds per game. Just kind of a non-factor. He follows uh, Tommy Lloyd to Arizona. Last season, He has, he's averaging 6.8 points per game, 15 Point two minutes per game. He played in 37 games, but kind of just a rotation guy, kind of just a jag, right? And then this season has just completely made a star turn. He started in all nine games. He's averaging almost 19 points per game and almost 10 rebounds per game. Has been a difference maker for Arizona. And obviously, Arizona needed someone to, to step up in the front court with Christian Coloco gone. And he has absolutely done that. He has been one of the most improved players in all of college basketball. He is one of the most productive big men in all of college basketball. And I think he's kind of in that same category right now as like Adama Sanago, like um, Trace Jackson Davis, uh, Oscar Shibway. Like, I think you have to talk about him in like one of the best bigs in all of college basketball category right now. He's been great. And between Tabellas and Balo, yeah, Trace held to eleven points, five boards, a foul out, and uh, it was just you know. And Arizona is more known for its offense than its defense there, but uh, but they were frustrating. And I tell you what, like, so Zona gets out to a huge lead early, and you know sometimes the first ten minutes can decide the game. You got to play out, play it out. But like Arizona got that big lead, and Indiana just was chipping away, right? It made a push, hit some big shots. It did look like a pretty great environment out there. And Indiana fans look like they traveled better than Arizona fans. Now, if you were there, and maybe you can dispel that notion, but I'm just saying on TV, it felt like IU had more people in the building. Uh, and part of that might have been camera angle, but it also sounded louder when Indiana really started to make its push there. But how about Lloyd? Really, like, Tubelis and Balo being bigs that don't step out and shoot. Now, Tubelis has got good movement about him. Like, he's not, he's not a statue. I get that. But... The trend in college hoops and all hoops, let's be honest here, for the most part, has been one big at most. If the big can step out at, at the mid-range or particularly from the perimeter, like you want that. But this idea that you're going to have two guys, six, nine or taller, and their duties are going to be mostly 10 feet and in, uh, you're just not setting yourself up to win. Well, the hell with that, according to Tommy Lloyd. I mean, they are fast where are they in tempo right now? I got to believe Arizona's top five in tempo. I'm going to look this up right now here. They're number one in offensive efficiency. I know that. Arizona. Fourth in tempo right now. 14 tempo. Okay, so not. Fourth. Oh, fourth. Yeah, okay. So there we go. Fourth in tempo. Adjusted tempo, to be clear. And and yes, they are as entertaining as just about any team in the country to watch. To me, like I can, I can just see it. Like, Arizona gets back in the tournament on the one, two, or three line. 
They make the Sweet 16 or Elite Eight. One of the bigs, if not both of them, have like an off night, right? They get beat. And there's going to be this takeaway from some that's like, this is why you can't do this in the big spots. I don't even know if I necessarily agree with that. If the process gets you to a point where you're on the one, two, or three line and you're doing this and you're running and they're that good, they're like empirically, undeniably that good. I don't think I reject it. Not to say that you should be aiming for this every single season moving forward. Like right now, UConn, for the most part, is going to play either Klingon or Sonogo, one or the other, right? They're not going to look to play both of them at the same time. That's also because UConn's nine deep and they can afford to run out a lot of different kind of rosters with a lot of wings. But for what Arizona is right here, this actually does seem like the way to go. And I like when you have teams in any kind of sport, when you have something that is cutting against the grain of what we are to expect. And right now, yeah, Arizona is able to do this with two bigs in a style that's that's not common. And I'm interested to see if it will hold up over the course of the regular season. It seems like it will. And that's not me saying that Arizona is going to waltz here and win the Pac-12 by three or four games. I'm not even saying that. I'm just saying that I do think it's going to get them into a spot where they're going to be hovering anywhere between, say, five or 15 in the polls and the metrics for the majority of the season. And that, to me, like uh, I'd say I'd say keep it going. There's no reason to switch up now. And how teams try and take them out of that will be interesting moving forward, particularly in a Pac-12 where obviously the top's just okay and then the bottom is a lot to be desired. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, what they're doing right now is working and working really well. Uh, one of the most fun teams to watch in college basketball. They're eight and one. Really good win over a quality Indiana team. And again, yeah, like number one in adjusted offensive efficiency, number four in, in tempo, uh, number seven in average possession length, another Ken Palm uh, stat, and then effective field goal percentage. They're number one in college basketball. So um, yeah, that, like they don't need to, change anything because right now they are doing everything at a really high level and potentially on a path to be a number one seed again this season. Um, all right. So we got 72 72 on my stream right now with Wisconsin and Iowa. We'll see. We'll see how it, we'll see how it goes there. We got some people in the chat talking up the game, uh, saying the game is ridiculous. I can only watch so much while I'm trying to talk here, but again, no Chris Murray, by the way, either. Um, it's just a quality classic early December Big Ten matchup between two seven and two teams. What do you want from me? Uh, on that note, Indiana will, you know, I'm not, I'm no internet jokes to the, to the IU fan base from this guy right here. Not happening today. Those will be returning, if not on Wednesday, then on Friday, because Indiana now is going to have to turn around after, you know, it lost at Rutgers, came back, got a home win against Nebraska, and then loses against Arizona. Now it's at Kansas. Next Saturday, we'll get to the Jayhawks in just a minute here. Let's talk about the other game that was between two two ranked teams, highly ranked teams over the weekend. That was Sunday at Barclays Center, Tennessee and Maryland. I mean, this thing, it was 5-2 to two at the 14-43 mark, the first media timeout of the first half. It was a rough watch. Tennessee wins 56-53 after almost blowing like a 20-21 point lead. No Josiah Jordan-James, no Jonas Adu for Tennessee. Sakai Ziegler led the team in scoring. He had 12 off the bench. He actually had a couple of shots down the stretch that that just kept them just enough from a surging, I say surging, like half serious Maryland uh, crew. But yeah, Tennessee had one player in double figures. And then Jameer Young had 18 for Maryland. He might have been the only guy in double figures for the Terps there. He had a couple of looks at the end, couldn't convert. It was ugly. Uh, But Tennessee is, it's nine and one. And oh, by the way, here comes an oil and water affair. Vols at Arizona on Saturday. Best offense against the best defense. Tennessee is number one in points per possession defense right now in the country. We will obviously preview and pick that game on the Friday show later this week. 
Tennessee, KB, Tennessee, that they're tough as hell, right? Yeah. And it, when you like, when I watch teams play them, like it looks like a task. I got a little bit of when they, I was out in Portland when uh, when they took out Kansas in in the Bahamas. There, I didn't get to watch a ton of it, but I did watch some of it. And Kansas looked like it was just in hell. So it's gonna it's gonna win like this, uh, but man, oh man, um, I was high on Tennessee coming into the season. I'm not gonna float too far from that. And they weren't fully healthy. I, I this team has the roster to be better on offense than it is right now. Vescovy, by the way, I mentioned on Friday, he was slated to play, had the shoulder issue uh, with all that. He did play. Uh, he logged 37 minutes, but he wasn't overly effective. I mean, he was one of nine from three point range. But they got him back, and he'll make his way back. Um, which way do you lean with this result? More uh, like want to talk more Tennessee, or want to talk more Maryland, which started. 8-0 and has now lost understandable back-to-back games at Wisconsin and then against the Vols on Sunday. Yeah, more Tennessee. I, I think my reaction to this game should be, that's a fantastic win. Maryland looks like an NCAA tournament team and Tennessee handled them with elite defense. And yet, my reaction is like, man, Tennessee's going to play in a lot of these really knockdown, drag-out, ugly games this season and really test the theory of whether it can win with defense. They're number one in adjusted defensive efficiency at Kempom, but they go in spurts on offense where it just cannot score. Um, they're they're really balanced team with, with really good defense. The offense, I think, is just going to be kind of hit or miss throughout this entire season. They're off to a good start to the year, obviously. Um, it, you know, they're nine and one. I, I think this is a pretty good team. They're not. They're number three at Ken Palm right now. Yeah, they it's are. just like my 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 reaction is like I just kind of want to fade this team a little bit. Like I, I think it's a little bit of smoke and mirrors. Okay. I don't think that the defense winning with defense is going to be a thing that can sustain them this season. Like I don't know if if this is maybe too hot of a take for you, but I, I would take Kentucky, I would take Alabama, and I would take Arkansas over them in the SEC right now. Um, is that, it's is really, that too hot? Really, no, it's, it's, it's not. It's all relative. If you're saying like, you know, but they'd, they, you take them fourth, but they'd be no worse than two games behind at the end of the year in the standings. Like yeah. it's, not, it's, it's not that whatsoever. Neutral court right now. Oh man, that's a good question. Neutral court between any of those four <laughs> especially after a weekend like this. Kentucky, you know, it actually got a little bit of a, of a nudge there from Yale. Um, Kentucky has not looked that impressive. Yeah, that's interesting. I'm, I'm kind of there with you. Now, a lot of this stuff just disintegrates and fades into the background when we're talking about an amazing Saturday in the middle of January and Tennessee plays some incredible game and wins 71-67 and shoots, you know, 47% from three. I, I, I want to believe that they have that in them uh, to actually pull that off here. Uh, but I don't know. We'll see. Okay. Wisconsin. Uh, by the way, anyone watching live on cable, I'm like, I'm like 65 seconds behind. If you're listening on the podcast Monday morning, you already know the results of the 78, 75 Wisconsin. That's a three to tie it. No way that goes in. Oh no. Okay. Bucky gets the win. Oh man. That was, that was tempting. Oh boy. Okay. The, the, the Badgers, they're waving bye to the fans. The McCaffrey sh- shot went short. 78, 75. That means what? Wisconsin's eight and two. How about this seamless transition here? Eight and two yep. for Wisconsin. Iowa loses the home one. Big 10. Let me bring this up real quick here. That's a really good win for Wisconsin. Uh, so how about this for Wisconsin? It's past three 
at Marquette in overtime, just beat Maryland at home, and now wins on the road against Iowa. Why the hell? Why the hell did I think that Greg Gard wouldn't have a team in the tournament? I, that's what I predicted in the preseason. I'm an idiot. What am I doing? I won't make this mistake again. I don't care if everyone either graduates or transfers from this Bucky team in the offseason. I will not pick against Wisconsin to not, not make the tournament again. I'm not doing this. Great, great dub there. They're eight and two. They're going to be nine and two, 10 and two, 11 and two. They're probably going to get to 12 and two because the next four are at home. Lehigh, Grambling State, which, by the way, beat Vandy on the road on Friday night. We'll get to that in a whip around. Western Michigan and then Minnesota. That's the next four for Wisconsin. Yeah, it's going to get to the first week of the new year and probably be a 12 and two team. And then that, at that point, I mean, it's not unthinkable that it could bump up into the top 15 of the rankings there. So, so good on, uh, good on them. One last note on uh, Tennessee, Maryland. Um, Terps have UCLA next. So GP and I told you we would take the under. They had that three-game stretch, right? We told you we'd take the under of 1.5 wins, and it turns out that's, you know, that's unfortunately the case for Maryland after going 8-0, losing at Wisconsin, losing Tennessee. Now it's, you know, it's still going to have a decent enough resume if it doesn't get it done against UCLA at home, but it's, you know, it's Cronin. It's UCLA, home. Got to win that because, and you got to hope you get, get UCLA maybe even a little bit sleepy there, KB, because after that game, the Bruins have Kentucky this weekend in the CBS Sports Classic. Love it. Saturday is going to be intense. There's a lot of very good basketball games on this weekend. The big, big This weekend was good. Next weekend is humongous. Here's a little tease for you. It hasn't been recorded yet, but it's scheduled. Might do a little Jay Wright special episode for you. Jay Wright on the pod. CBS Sports is own. Looking forward to it. Keep an eye out, out for that on the YouTube and in the feed. Again, the fastest way to consume the podcast is if you are subscribed to the YouTube channel and you ding the bell. Because when you ding the bell or you click the bell, you tap the bell, you tickle the bell, you smash the bell, you do whatever you do to the bell, you will literally get an alert when the show starts live. And if that's how you prefer to consume the podcast, well, we'd love it. However, if you like listening on the phone, which is, again, that's my style, but you subscribe to the YouTube channel anyway, we're not going to tell anyone. You can do both. We'd love you so much for it. SEC teams went nine and what eight and three over the weekend. As we speak, Mississippi State's on the road against Minnesota. If they win, I think that's a nine and three weekend for the SEC. All told, a pretty good job by that conference. All right, let's do the weekend whip around here, my man. Um, Wisconsin gets the win. We got to talk. We got to say in the Big Ten, Penn State seventy four fifty nine over Illinois. Went into Champaign and ran them over. I mean. So I was there for Illinois' takedown of Texas early in the week at MSG. Clearly, those guys were reading their their press clippings and feeling themselves too much because yeah. not to get the clip ready. This is going to be long, by the way. This is like almost three minutes long. This is a this is a mashup from Big Ten Network. I Underwood is just never afraid to just say what he needs to say and say it on the record. What he's about to say right now, like half the coaches would tell you off the record, they would never want to say it on the record. But he was so pissed off at his team. Now to go ahead and play it, and if you're watching this, is the video is going to come up right here on YouTube. Here we go. Inexcusable. Let's start there. I knew, I've known, we're going to have nights like this with an extremely young team. I think we're the second youngest in the Power Five. I knew those these nights were coming. Uh, I can live with all of that except the complete lack of leadership and the complete lack of effort that was given today. 
from the very first play that they scored to the two practices before this game. Completely unacceptable. The lack of leadership on this team is zero. It is none. Inexcusable. We'll find out who's who wants to be a part of playing hard and doing it the right way. All the credit to Penn State. They deserve to win the game. They punched us in the mouth. They're old, the oldest team in the country, and they played like grown men. We played uh, uh, very, very uninspired basketball from uh, uh, the second we landed from Madison Square Garden uh, until now. We have, we have been atrocious in practice. Maybe the two worst days of practice leading up to a game I've been a part of, and that's leadership. That's leadership. Plain and simple leadership. Put it in bold damn print. Leadership. Lack of. I was just trying to find guys a player. This didn't have anything to do with X's and O's. This had everything to do with heart and, and, and being tough enough to compete for the jersey that you wear every single day. Offense and defense was a disgrace. It didn't matter who we had on the floor. I don't know. I read him Trent Frazier's text. Ask him about that next time you talk to him. That, he, he's leading from Serbia. Every day, guys. Every day. Every day. It's not about having the media and everybody else kiss their butt when you play hard in front of, in, in, in Madison Square Garden and beat a good team. We've proven we can beat really good teams. But to do it every single day, and we had one of our players say it in the locker room, man, we just lost to Penn State. That was our attitude for two days. Brady, you've talked a lot about TJ's leadership since he's gotten here. <laughs> That's what I thought of that today. Show you how. Uh, you guys know I don't usually come in here like this after a loss. But I'm just telling you, our approach to this game right now is immature, and it's it's, it's it lacks complete complete 100% le- lack of leadership. And if I got to go back to leading again, this team's in trouble. Somebody on this team's got to step up. Yeah, we have one guy that plays hard consistently every day. One guy, period. One guy. One guy that I one guy sincere plays hard every every single day. Matter hockey subs, two subs at a time, three. It, I was just trying to find somebody that played hard and that actually cared about. Man, oh man, oh man, oh man, oh man. Thank you, Brad Underwood. And what's crazy, so that was long. So thank you for sticking with us. It's particularly live when you're watching that and if you were listening on the pod. One, I'd love to know what actually that sounds like at 1.5 or 1.75, 1.8 speed there. That is such a 180 from the Brad Underwood that I talked to after the game at the Garden, where the dude was glowing, glowing. And it wasn't like, it wasn't faux. It wasn't trying to put on a face. It was, he admitted, like, I'm just trying, I'm guessing from practice. I don't know with our rotations, but they're able to beat Texas in a big environment and they really kind of came together. And then it's like they got on the plane in New York, flew home and just checked out for four straight days. And he just laid it into, you rarely get a coach that will be, and it, like sometimes you'll get a clip and it might be like 15, 20 seconds makes the sports highlight shows. And it, dude, he was ranting for, and, and it also speaks to one is confidence as a coach. Sure. That Trent Frazier line is a, my goodness, man. From Serbia, he know either he knows that the team will respond, or despite the record and how good they've looked, KB, he must feel like coaches don't do this unless it's one they're just overtly emotional, can't hold back, which is always a possibility. Or he he's thought about it and he, he thought about it 
in the middle of the game, thought about it the day before, thought about it afterward, talking to his team before he went to the dais and thought, if I don't do something like this, I actually, I, I actually wonder if my team will be wasting a lot of its potential here and we might start swirling a bit for the next two, three weeks. Your thoughts on, uh, on that game and, and Underwood's thoughts and quotes thereafter. Do not think this was uh, unintentional whatsoever. I'm pretty sure he knew what he was going to do when he stepped up to the dais. He knew that he was trying to light a fire under his team, especially after what they showed against you know Texas, winning in Madison Square Garden, doing it in the way that it did was really impressive. And then to turn around <laughs> and to lose by 15 points at home to, okay, a pretty good Penn State team, a better than expected Penn State team, but just completely laying down. I mean, this this team just showed no fight in this game. The way that it just was lifeless for most of this game was pretty jarring and one of the most surprising results of the weekend just because coming off that win over Texas, you think, okay, maybe this Illinois team start to figure it out. They look like maybe the best team in the Big Ten. And just to lay a stinker out like that was was stunning. Uh, Brad Underwood had his his nice little uh, toot out of the mouth moment. Uh, asked about uh, I got this. I got this. Hold on, I'm going to have to put this on the board here. Let me see if this. Here we go. Talked a lot about TJ's leadership since he's gotten here. <laughs> that's going. That's going in. I don't know when I'm going to be able to use it again, but can't remember the last time a coach ever. <laughs> How do you transcribe that? Literally, what do you do? I, I haven't. I should have tried to find a couple, couple of gamers there. Shouts to Jeremy Werner in the two four seven Sports Network for capturing that because that is an all time classic. Go ahead, Cape. Yeah, and that was a, that was a response that he had to someone asking about Terrence Shannon's leadership. Um, yeah. So, yeah, I think he's frustrated with his team's response after you know such a high moment of beating Texas, but also just the the lack of leadership that this team kind of has in general. I'm not necessarily, I'm not entirely sure that it's an actual problem in the way that maybe he painted it out after the Penn State loss, but clearly he wants some guys to step up in that locker room. They kind of have not done that to this point. Uh, the Trent Fraser comment was just a complete needle, uncalled for. He knows that his guys are going to see that and just be pissed mm. off about it, which I think it's probably like a decently smart move. We'll see if they respond. This this Illinois team has an immense ceiling, and uh, I think it's probably the right approach to just lay lay into them and call them out and say, hey, this this is unacceptable. The, the leadership that we have on this team, it, it needs to step up. We need some guys to step up. We need everyday guys, as as Brad Underwood always says. Yeah. Um, I think they have a really high ceiling, but obviously they're susceptible to losing by 15 at home to Penn State. So they're, they're breaking in five new starters, young guys everywhere. There's no consistency right now. The ceiling is very, very high, but obviously the, the floor is, is, is rock bottom as we saw over the weekend. Robert Half Research indicates nine out of 10 hiring managers are having difficulty hiring. If you have open roles, chances are you're feeling this too. That's why you need Robert Half. Our specialized recruiting professionals engage with our proprietary AI to connect businesses of all sizes with highly skilled talent in finance and accounting, technology, marketing and creative, legal, and administrative and customer support. At Robert Half, we know talent. Visit roberthalf.com today. 
Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Illinois only has three games over the next three weeks or so. Alabama A&M this weekend, so they got finals in that game at home. Then they're going to play um, Bragg and Wright's game against Missouri uh, on December 22nd, and then Bethune-Cookman on December 29th. So 7-3 now, prob- probably 10-3, although Missouri, we'll, we'll wait and see. We're going to get to the Tigers here in just a second there. I, I Penn State, I'm going to give you a quick love here because you deserve it. Right now, Michael Shrewsbury, 7-3. and three. The Illinois win is by far the best. Also have a win over Butler. Beat Furman on a neutral. Certainly worth noting in Colorado State as well when Colorado State wasn't at full strength. Jalen Pickett has been a dude, my man. He has been close to 20-10 and 10 over the past five games. Uh, six or more assists in five of the past six games. He was terrific uh, in this game in particular and had, what, 20.7 boards, six dimes. Uh, formerly played at Siena, was one of the better mid-major guards in the country at Siena. And it took him a little time to kind of catch up to speed. Last season was just okay. And hit, boy, oh boy, he has jumped in a major way. So uh, Pickett, we, we absolutely see you. Penn State getting it done. We'll see if they can really be a factor in the Big Ten and become a tournament team. Still a lot, lot to be determined with a lot of these teams overall. All right, KB, I'm going to, I'm going to, let's, let's continue this whip around because I want to get moving here. We're actually, we're almost an hour in. Uh, Kansas, Steamrolls Mizzou, 9567. Nada, you got this photo? Drinkwitz, I got to talk, talk. I got to talk about this real quick here. The co- the football coach in the stands holding up the sign. Do you have that tweet, my man, for YouTube? If people can't see it, so Kansas goes in and destroys Missouri. I don't even know what to make of this. If you're watching on YouTube, Kyle Pinnell took the picture. He's got and on the picture on the right, it's get loud if you hate Kansas. Fine, that's actually a great little thing for the football coach. I don't know what to make of this. Five level one violations on the sign and the Missouri football coach is holding this up. It's equal parts hilarious and stupid. I just, I've never seen this. I've never seen a coach do this. What are we doing? And I know Drinkwitz is a different dude. Like I'm not, I'm not in on the college football beat on a daily basis. Let's bring in, let's, I wish I actually had Fornelli to pull him in right now. The, I, I, I almost got to believe that a student brought the sign in. And this must have been really early because Kansas kicked their ass. It was not competitive. And he was like, what the hell? Why not? This might have been before tip. Uh, it says 550. I guess it's 559. I'm trying to think when the game tipped. I don't know when that was, but the, the fan base is certainly engaged in that moment. And they shut him up real quick there. This is who I'm not complaining. It's something to talk about. But my oh my. I mean, that is that is something. Thoughts, KB. Eli Drinkwitz. 17 and 18 in his three years at Missouri, uh, parading around a sign that is rubbing Kansas's nose in five level one violations and a Hall of Fame coach. Oh, who was, who was, it's just, it's, I, I personally it, it love actually it. feels like, I don't know. I like, I half love it and half think, like, dude, what the hell are you doing? Go ahead. <laughs> Shouts to Eli Drinkwitz because I thought it was fantastic. He was in the student section. If you zoom in on this photo, 
he is just happy as can be rocking this sign. He knows exactly what he's doing. He's leaned all the way into it. I think it's incredible. Unfortunately, Norlander, it was 100% the highlight of the day for Missouri. Uh, Kansas just completely took it to Missouri. Jayla Wilson had 24. Grady Dick had 16. Kevin McCuller had 21. KJ Adams had 19 points. Looked really good in kind of a breakout game. Uh, Missouri had 21 turnovers, 8 assists on the day. Um, Missouri's 9-0 start to the season. Definitely a little bit of a mirage. They, they had a pretty soft schedule to open the season. And Kansas just completely took it to him. This is via CJ Moore of The Athletic. Dwan Harris was asked if the atmosphere at Mizzou Arena affected him at all. Quote, no, because, you know, I was just in the national championship game. It was 70,000 people. Oh, my God. <laughs> Dude, that's an incredible quote. That is such a good quote. After Kansas won by 20. How about this? Won by 28 points. Second largest margin of victory ever for KU in 125 games in that building only behind a 91 58 win. That's a 33 point margin back in 1957, 57 shouts to Wilt Chamberlain, Kansas, by the way, shot 57.4%. It was their best shooting in a non-conference game on the road since 2007 against South Carolina. And apparently any team walking in to Kim English and arena and shooting 57.4% was the no team had done that since at least 96, 97, which is kind of the start of the Stats Inc. era. So you'd really have to burrow into the, the Missouri record books to determine the last time a team shot that well. Hell of a win for Kansas. And, and that Drinkwitz picture is just unbelievable. Reminder, Kansas has not yet received its verdict from the IARP, and that is not expected until 2023, potentially even after the season. All right, teams that stayed undefeated. Purdue, 65-62, OT win over Nebraska. I know, Nebraska fans, refs are a little bit shaky in that. Boiler, boiler ball dodged one. Uh, it's produced fourth 10-0 start in the past 85 years. The other ones were 93-94, 2009-2010, 2015-16. Purdue was bad from the foul line yeah. in regulation, but hit five of his fouls, five of six foul shots in overtime, and the Fletcher lawyer was the man on the floor. He was more important than Edie, even though Edie had like seven blocks. Edie had a season low in points, didn't, uh, what do you had, 13, 14, something like that. Uh, lawyer had 22. And over the past six games, he's averaging 15.8 points and 3.7 assists per game. Came up big. Other undefeated teams, UNLV, UNLV beat Wazoo. It's, uh, it's now 10-0 for the first time since 1991. That team just so happened to go on to the national championship. Uh, New Mexico beat UTSA. It's 9-0 for the first time since 2012. Utah State beat Loyola Marymount. It's 8-0 for the first time since 61-62. Mississippi State, as we talk, is undefeated. Again, they're playing at Minnesota. If they win, they will be uh, remaining in those ranks uh, right now. Well, as it's 12-11 Minnesota, so anything's possible. Creighton, free-falling, lost four straight. Fell on Saturday night against BYU, got out to an early lead. BYU flipped it, led for a majority of the game. Creighton went on this wild run. Like, I'm, I'm on the couch last night. I'm like, do I need to watch the end of it? And I did. I watched it. I was like, this is, a, this is absurd. The final minutes were just outrageous. Creighton actually got the lead back. Did you watch the end of this? Did you, I did, did not you, watch the end of it. I I turned it off. I was I, I was dialed it, obviously. I was dialed in. I had to be. Uh, Dallin Hall got his own miss on a on a just a bunny. He put BYU back up and then turnovers fouls. BYU wins. Um, Arthur Kaluma was awesome, man. He had twenty seven yeah. points, but he fouled out with like seven minutes to go. 
They did. By the way, Creighton didn't have Ryan Kalkbrenner, which was a humongous fact. If he's on the floor, they don't they don't lose. Period. He was sidelined by illness. Uh, Creighton has to play on Monday night in Las Vegas again against a nine and one Arizona State team. There's no telling. I, I don't know if Kalkbrenner will be available for that or not. But Arizona State's like they could be legitimately good. Um, so a tough one for for the Blue Jays. To, you know, start out six and zero. Now lost four straight. I will also note on the Creighton front. Um, Paul Silas passed away Sunday at the age of seventy nine. He was a man at Creighton before becoming an NBA mainstay. Played at the same high school in Oakland as Bill Russell, not at the same time. Uh, Creighton made the 62 tournament when he was when Silas was a sophomore. Back then, you were not eligible to play if you were a freshman. So Creighton went to the 62 and 64 tournaments with him on the roster. And per Creighton, Silas is the only player in NCAA history with three or more seasons of 557 rebounds. He had 631 rebounds in 29 games in 1963-64 KB. Nobody has had more in a, in a season since. Silas, man, 21.6 rebound career average, third best in the history of men's D1 college basketball. And then I love this note. Silas Russell, Julius Irving, Artis Gilmore, and Kermit Washington are the only players to average 20 and 20 at the college level. He finished averaging 20.5 points and 21.6 boards on average. And I mean, this is a joke. The 29 best individual rebounding games in the history of Creighton's program are all Paul Silas. Awesome, dude. Nada, you can hop in here really quick if you want, man, because you're a Hornets guy. And did I see you tweet that he might be the best coach in the franchise? Did I? Did you tweet that? I don't want to yes. miss. I don't want to. No, no. Okay. He, he had a four-year stretch where they won at least forty-four games, got up to fifty-two, took them to the Eastern Con- Eastern Conference semifinals in two thousand two. Probably should have beaten the Nets that year, but unfortunately, Jamal Mashburn got hurt which was a common phrase you heard back in the day, right around mid-early 2000s with Jamal Mashburn. But he was easily the best coach in Charlotte Hornets history, even when he was forced to settle with that 7-59 and Charlotte Bobcats team. Ooh, yeah, that's right, man. Well, rest in peace, Paul Silas. Uh, A basketball legend, not overstating it. At the college level, at the pro level, player, and then obviously in coaching, um, Big time stuff there. Uh, KB, you got any quick thoughts on, on the Jays? I don't want to scoot to the next result before giving you a, a quick minute here. I don't remember what your preseason take was on Creighton. Trendy, you know, chic preseason top 10 team. I faded that a little bit. I had them 14 in my overall team rankings. Uh, I would I would imagine you're surprised that they're 10 games in and with the six and four record, but seeing how they've done it and who they haven't had in some of these games, what's your what's your quick take on, on McDermott's crew right now? Yeah, four straight losses is not great. Uh, three of them by five points or fewer. So I, I think they're pretty close. Um, I had them number one in the Big East coming into the season. I have definitely flipped on that. I actually had uh, UConn at number two and very much have flipped and, and think UConn should be number one. I think it's probably UConn, Creighton, Villanova in the Big East. If I was kind of reconfiguring my Big East preseason predictions. Would you agree with that? Would you have Creighton lower? Um, I'm not I'm not entirely ready to hit the panic button on Creighton just yet. I think they have a ton of talent. They do. And it's they're actually capable of like losing to Arizona State on Monday and then check check us on Valentine's Day and it's like UConn Creighton battling the peace. That's still on the table there. But you know, the losses are piling up and this is going to have an impact on overall seating. It's just unavoidable at this point with, with what they have and have not been able to do in the non-conference. Obviously, their schedule has been one of the toughest there. So so we'll see on that. Um, all right, let's quickly tour the rest of the weekend. Just stuff that, that I think people need to know. Kendrick Davis looked great. Uh, Memphis took it to Auburn. 
8273. Memphis is eight and two and fourteenth at Torvik, just by oh by the way. Yeah. Um Auburn, jury's still out on it. Backcourt's not taking the leap right now. Bruce Pearl had himself a therapy session at the end of that game. Uh, but as you mentioned before, John Morant gave Kendrick the, the call on Twitter. That was cool. Memphis plays at Alabama on Tuesday night. That's one to look out for. And it would it, that might well lead the pod on Wednesday morning. Back in the saddle there. Xavier Cincinnati was awesome and frenetic at the end. Xavier got the win. Now, for the majority of that game, Xavier was in control. And then Cincinnati made this just outrageous push and comeback there. It ultimately ends 80 to 77 in favor of X. But Wes Miller called a timeout he did not have to give Xavier two shots on a technical, but to make sure that Cincinnati would get the ball back in a dead ball situation to give them the best chance of extending the game to overtime and getting the win. It is a loophole in the rules. The easiest way to resolve that is to simply give the team that does that the ball and two foul shots. So you can't do it, but I, you know what? I kind of like the loophole as it is. It's rarely used. And yes, it would be brutal if a team eventually lost this way, but it's there. Very smart of West Miller to think like that. Didn't wind up happening. Um, David DeJulius hit like an absurd three pointer that went in a fouled and won Uh great rivalry. Love seeing it. Xavier with an important win. If it's going to build out an NCAA tournament resume, Cincinnati's on the move. Not sure if it'll be a tournament team this year. I think at worst it's going next year. Sneaky result. St. Mary, 68-61 over San Diego State in Phoenix. Aiden Mahaney had 20, the freshman guard for the Gales. Aztecs are 7-3 and three with losses to SMC, Arizona, and Arkansas. The only win right now over tournament team is to Ohio State and Maui. It's a preseason top 20 team. I'd say the Aztecs have just performed a little bit shy of expectation at this point. But St. Mary's got itself a resume-saving win with this one. Gales are 8-3. and WCC is firmly the ninth-best conference in the country right now. I think if this team can get to 25 wins by Selection Sunday, it'll have a good case for at-large status. Elsewhere, Arkansas 88, Oklahoma 78. Hogs are 9-1. and one, Got 26 from Ricky Council. I don't know if we mentioned this on the Friday pod, but uh, Trevon Brazil is done for the season. Uh, ACL tear, I believe it was. And he was just awesome to this point. Was he someone that you... I don't know if you, re, if you reconfigured your big board and like had him in your top 50, but... He, they don't like they're deep. They've got a ton of wings. Arkansas is fun, but KB, they do not have anyone on the roster now who was doing what he was doing. Trayvon Brazil was top 30 on the big board. So huge loss. He was having a monster year for Arkansas. Arkansas's front court is going to be kind of uh, interesting to watch. Like that, that team has kind of traditionally under Eric Musselman ran through its, its guards and its, and its backcourt. I think they'll continue to do that. But Brazil, what he brought to the table, I think replacing him is going to be really, really hard. And, and a guy who was really impressing, I think, NBA front offices as a potential first rounder. So, yeah, he's he's done for the year. That's going to be a really tough blow to a really good Arkansas team. Two 10-1 teams to know about. Miami beat NC State. It's a quiet 10-1. We'll remain in my power rankings this week. So will Virginia Tech 10-1 after beating Oklahoma State Sunday in Brooklyn. Also will still be power ranked. So credit to those two ACC teams who are getting it done in somewhat quiet fashion. They'll continue to get their their flowers as they continue to play well. But I did want to give them a quick mention there. Um, Cal lost at home to Butler is 0-11. Louisville <laughs> lost at Florida State is 0-9. Only bringing it up because they're the only D1 teams literally without a victory yet. But there are plenty of teams that actually have wins against non-D1 teams. So it's you know that's sort of a misleading stat. Net rankings. As of Sunday, Cal is 349, Louisville 360 in the net. Ay, 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 ay. Um, it's just rough, man. Louisville's got Florida AM coming up, upcoming. That's a home game. They got to win the game, man. They got to win it. Uh, last result, I'm going to credit Marquette. Went into Notre Dame, just overlooked quiet game on Sunday. They beat them 79 64. 
This is the kind of result to me. So I was thinking about this. With the relative weakness of the ACC, I, I, it might come back and haunt Notre Dame in March. And it might be the thing that helps get Marquette over the hump. We'll see. Uh, they're, they're pacing better than that for now, but they might need like a quad one road win to solidify tournament status Marquette. And this might be the one. The Irish squeaked into the field, you may recall, last season. I don't know, man. They could find themselves in Supreme Bubble territory again. They have no non-conference games left against tournament teams. And Marquette's non-conference season is done. It went two and three against the five high major programs it faced. It's got that <laughs> it's got that massive and shocking 26-point home win over Baylor. And then this definitive one against Notre Dame. The losses, Purdue by five versus still undefeated Mississippi State on a neutral. And then by three at home in OT against Wisconsin. None of the losses are bad, just sub 500. I think if the Golden Eagles get top four in the Big East, they're going to dance no matter what. Shy of that, it probably is bubble territory. But no matter. I said it once. I'm going to say it one more time. I underprojected Marquette. Shock has done a solid job thus far with some new pieces there. Goodman Golden Eagles. You got anything else from the weekend, KB? Yeah, I just want to scoot back to uh, we glanced over the really bad teams, the the Louisvilles, the Florida States. I just wanted to to highlight a a, a quote from Kenny Payne over the weekend. Um, he said, I, "I I don't feel like we're on the upward swing yet. I don't know yet if we've really hit rock bottom. I know that we're low, but again, it's hard to tell when you played. You just said it five top twenty five teams. There's more, but." Yeah. I mean, just if you're a Louisville fan, just so much pain, pain everywhere, you know, kind of like the, uh, what Jameis said, just pain everywhere. They're 0 and 9, they're 310th in adjusted offensive efficiency. They, there is no bottom. They are just really bad. And Kenny Payne just talking about how, um, they don't, they don't feel like they've hit raw bottom yet. Like this seems for Louisville, this is just totally unacceptable. And the way that they played, I mean, I've I've watched a few full games from them, um, regretfully, and it is it is embarrassing. Their effort is so bad. I I don't know if it's a Kenny Payne thing. I don't know if it's the talent is not quite there. I think it's kind of a combination of both. But just something I'm watching. Uh, Louisville is obviously really bad. It's not a surprise. We expected that Louisville would not be particularly good this season, uh, but just things continued to go extremely bad in Louisville. Just uh, just something to watch. Fair enough. Uh, before we get out of here, I did promise a couple of answered questions here. Um, a, a note to continue to leave some Apple reviews, questions or comments. I was scrolling through them over the past week. Just even stuff that I'd forgotten we talked about and I just I hadn't checked them in a while, but someone, someone wrote about how they were in an airport listening to the podcast and losing their mind because it was the Final Four episode where I asked Parrish, who was Dean Smith before Dean Smith? And he said, that's Dean Smith. And then we got to talking about Adidas wanting to cut off Armando Baycott's leg. You know, typical podcast fodder. Um, that was a really funny review. So thank you. And um, someone else said, this was Adam Nedlinger said, he was recapping the show. Washed, washed up Gary Parrish and his therapist, Matt Norlander, recount GP's path athletic trauma from high school while also discussing sex education and college basketball updates. I think that pretty much, yeah. I think that pretty much sums it up. There was also a reviewer in there who was a spy in Portland and accurately noted that I, I guess this fellow was going to come say hi to me 
while I was at a hotel in downtown Portland, but noticed that I was interviewing Drew Timmy. And so he neglected on doing that. Uh, you could have said hi, but I appreciate that. I was actually conducting an interview. I did meet with Drew Timmy in Portland for stuff that'll run later this season. So, uh, so thank you. And yes, that was, in, that was indeed me. We also have the email address, shouts to CBS at gmail.com. We've gotten some very good emails. I, the plan here, the plan is to get a mailbag episode before December's out. I don't know when it's going to run, but there's some good stuff in there. Continue to send those. Some of you guys made some great GP photoshops on the Illinois train. <laughs> I didn't even mention that earlier, the Illinois train. You know what? Maybe we confront GP on that on the Wednesday episode. The dude thinks he's, the dude thinks he's conducting this thing, and it's right off the tracks. Right off the tracks immediately, but the photoshops are very good. We appreciate it. Continue to send any questions, comments, shouts to CBS at gmail.com, particularly if you don't listen on Apple Podcasts. And yeah, if you've got a comment, a question, 5, 10, 15 seconds, 15 at most, name, where you're from, question. We'll try and put that in the mailbag episode as well. Nada, fire like three or four quickies for us from the live chat here before we, I know it's a long episode. Never miss a Sunday show. And the uh, intro, obviously, was was a different one here. But I want to get at least a couple questions in. So what do we got? All right. First one we got is from Jay Jackson, which is a good one. Question. Will Virginia be number no, number one next week? Okay, KB, I'm going to let you answer this. But before you do, I'm going to note this. Purdue is ahead of them. Uh, is Purdue ahead? No, Purdue's behind in the polls, but still undefeated like Virginia is. UConn, behind in the polls, still undefeated like Virginia is. Virginia... Only played this week home 55-50 in a close one against James Madison. Purdue gets a tough win on the road. Also won against Hofstra. UConn went to Florida, dominated, and then 114-61 over LIU, whatever. Like it's just they're just they're rolling. But UConn's also number one in Ken Palm. Who's it gonna be? Because I, I think it will be what Virginia, Purdue, or UConn. Who's your pick? It's gonna be UConn, number one. Okay. I I think that's how I would rank it. I believe that's how AP voters will respond, but it would surprise me if AP voters just say, "Hey, let's let's move up the next closest team." I think it'll be UConn. They've they've been by far the most impressive team uh, to this point, uh, taking down Florida by you know nineteen points, twenty one points, something like that on the road um, Wednesday. I th- I think that will get them to the number one spot. Forgot I had my mailbag bumper music here. So I'm gonna ah, play this. Yeah, let's bring it. Let's bring that's exactly. That's the attitude. Thank you. Need more music on this podcast. I'm gonna say that's right. I'm gonna I'm gonna voter behavior traditionally would have Virginia moving up past Texas, past Houston, because right now AP poll, Houston, Texas, Virginia, Purdue, Yukon. I'll say Virginia actually gets there. But the number of teams receiving a vote for number one, Virginia's going to get some, Purdue and UConn will get some. And I think that'll be pretty close. All right, Nada, next question. What do we got? So I was going to do this in order, but Brad Crowder, shout out to him, gave me the most interesting question I think we have to ask right now. Okay. Question. If Louisville walks into Rupp Arena without a win on December 31st, how nervous should Kentucky and Calipari be? <laughs> okay. All right. Hold on. First of all, that is that. All right. So if, for that to happen, Louisville has to lose home to Western Kentucky on Wednesday. Obviously, probably going to happen. Home to Florida and A&M. Florida A&M on Saturday. They're, Florida A&M is 359 at Kempom. They're, 
they got to win that game, right? They have to win that game. And then Lipscomb at home, NC State on the road before Kentucky. But for the purposes of this question, not nervous whatsoever. This is a home game at Rupp for Kentucky. Yeah, like the smallest parts of you be like, there's no way we can lose a home game to the worst Louisville team in history. There will be no nerves. I Kentucky fans, they have many reasons to be nervous when you're facing Louisville in many given seasons. KB, there's there's no reason, right? Can I call it on the podcast here? Louisville you're not sure. Oh, you're not calling this. <laughs> okay, I'd take Kentucky. Not. You can't be nervous about that. Louisville's awful. I mean, they're going to win this this weekend. They're going to win on Saturday at home against Florida A and M. I mean, they'll they'll probably have like one win going into Rupp, and Kentucky's going to blow them out by thirty seven point three points. Someone in the chat, Matthew P, said would be worse than St. Peter's for Cal. Unquestionably, that would be worse. Are you kidding me? But it's not going to happen. It's not even on the table. Almost set the line at that point. I'm going to someone come back that Friday before. I'm going to forget this. That Friday before the Kentucky Louisville one. I don't know if we'll pick it. My guess right now, we're twenty days out. I'm going to have that line at Kentucky. I'll say it's Kentucky minus 24 and a half. That's my guess on that line. And that's a pretty aggressive. I'll say Kentucky minus 22 and a half, 22 and a half, 22 and a half. Come back and find me. Next question. Nada. Well, I have to add one more thing. You guys are missing the most obvious Louisville win on the timeline. It's NC state on the road. Let's be real. It's not happening. happening. Let's be real. We, We both know that's coming. We all know that's coming. No. All right. So Matthew Bryan has a really good question as well. So who do you guys think is closer to the real Creighton, the team from Mm. Maui or the team from last week? The Arizona-Texas losses are fine, but they've looked stuck these last two games. What are you thinking, Kyle? Uh, They're the Maui team. I think they're legit. I think they're a top-10 team. I believe in the talent that they have. Kalkbrenner is one of the best centers in college basketball. Trey Alexander, Ryan Nimhard delicious backcourt. Kaluma, I think, is a first-round potential player. And then Baylor Shireman, I haven't even talked about him. Um, I had him ranked as a top-ten player coming into the college basketball season. So far, I have definitely been wrong. but You're not that I, wrong, dude. He's had, like, his numbers have been really good. And he's yeah. I don't have it in front of me. I saw it in the Creighton notes. He's had, like, I want to say, like, six straight double-doubles, and that hasn't been done, like, once or twice in the past 20 years or something like that. I, he's actually, he hasn't been top-ten, but he's been a top-25 player in the sport. Yeah, and I think he's going to continue to grow. So I really like this Creighton team. I think they're more of what we saw early in the season than what we've seen of late. I will say Maui, although I will note that Texas Tech is one of those defeats. Six mm-hmm. and two. Texas Tech's wins are to all teams 140 or worse at Ken Palm. Just keep that in mind. Red Raiders, plenty of questions to be answered. Uh, let's go two more, Nada. What do we got? All right, K Tide 12 asks. Is Wisconsin the best Big Ten matchup against Purdue for taking away Edie with Wall and Crawl? This is why I like doing questions live in the chat on the show. Um, Nebraska, by the way, held Edie to one bucket in the final 25 minutes of regulation. Damn, that is a. It, that's, that's not happening again. Sick. That's not happening again. I mean, you don't you don't just walk into Pinnacle Bank. I mean, you do. That's, that's, nice. that's that's exactly what happened. And a lot of people do, actually. Yes. Purdue walked into Pinnacle Bank. Um, yeah. I'm looking at every Big Ten team right now, trying to determine. Um, I still feel I 
You know, I I want to say I want to say it's Rutgers. To be honest, now, Wisconsin's got a case, but if Cliff plays really well with McConnell as like hell, I mean McConnell, Mulcahy, both six seven. My answer is Rutgers, but Wisconsin's in that conversation for sure. What say you, KB? What was the question? <laughs> Nada. What's next? All right. Our final question is, will Tom Izzo in Michigan State miss the tournament? <sighs> Michigan State 7-4. and four. Hasn't missed the tournament. 95, I believe, is the year. That's off the top of my head. Nada, can you fact check that and confirm it before we're out of here? I'm pretty sure Michigan State last missed the tournament in 95. And I want to say Kansas has the longest drink since 90. And then I think, is it Michigan State and Gonzaga that are tied? Or is Michigan State got a year or two on Gonzaga for longest active and silver tournament streaks? It's right there. Um, Michigan State 7-4. and four. Best wins. Kentucky on a neutral. Oregon on a neutral. At Penn State. I'm just and they and they're not healthy yet. Yeah, that's a that's they're on they're in the midst of an 11 day stretch. Getting a little party talking, uh, very uh, you know quiet point on the schedule. They they dismissed Brown over the weekend. Did MSU? I'm not saying I, it just doesn't happen with this though. I'm I, no I no 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 no. It's almost like the Greg Gard principle and Wisconsin principle at this point. I can't get there. I can see it. I can definitely see it. Like there's points on this schedule, man. Like. January 10th starts at Wisconsin, at Illinois, home to Purdue, home to Rutgers, at Indiana, home to Iowa, at Purdue. Like, Michigan State could go 1-6 and six in that stretch. Probably won't, but not inconceivable. And if you move down the, the calendar, it actually, at one point, it's at Indiana, home to Iowa, at Purdue, at Rutgers, home to Maryland, at Ohio State. Like, it is going to be a gauntlet. It is not inconceivable. Michigan State has had uh, two years ago, well, a year and a half will be two years. They were a first four team, you'll recall there. Yeah. Most most of the time, they got a single digit next to that name on the seed line. They're normally not fighting. This does feel like a season where they where they will be fighting after early returns seem to indicate that we all underrated Sparty and it would be, you know, top 25 level. Maybe they get back to that point. But with that non-conference schedule, oh man, I don't know. It's a lot. It's it's definitely something that's out there, and we will talk about multiple times on the pod, but I will still lean that they're getting in. Yeah, I agree. We've we've done the will they will they will they not with Izzo and Michigan State a few times over the last few years. It's going to be one of those years where they may struggle a little bit, but yeah, they're 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 going to make the tournament. Big Ten is absolutely loaded this season, so they they're going to have some stretches. All right, long pod. We're going to wrap this up again. I don't I don't listen. I don't do the shouts. All right. Sometimes we do an awkward pause. I'm not going to do an awkward pause either. KB, thanks for joining me. Everyone that tuned in live, appreciate you. Uh, reminder, GP will be back on our next scheduled episode. Also, we'll have an episode with Jay Wright. I'm looking forward to that. Asking Jay Wright, you know, I want to know when Jay Wright decided, all right, I'm going to do the media thing. We're going to talk about that. We're going to preview CBS Sports Classic. He'll be in the studio for CBS Sports this weekend there. And uh, thank you again for, to everyone for listening and subscribing. Uh, I know the intro was definitely unusual, um, but I, I couldn't not in good conscience not uh, talk about talk about Grant. And, you know, that was certainly something that, that was consistent throughout the weekend. But it was a busy week. Look forward to an okay week in hoops before a, a massive, massive weekend uh, upcoming there. But thank you for watching and subscribing. We'll be back with another episode in just a couple of days. See ya.
What's up, y'all? This is four-time NBA champ Andre Iguodala. Yo, and this is his best friend, the Ohio State legend, Evan Marcel Turner the first. Every Wednesday, we drop a new episode on our show, Point Four. We're talking basketball, business, and all the culture in between. From locker room stories to some basketball analysis from those who've been in the game. Now, it is a do-bet. Do average 29 and 11. God, what it take to be an all-star? A win. Subscribe to Point Four, the podcast, so you don't miss a thing.